Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to worship uh, with you all this morning. Uh, it's it's uh, such a joy to see so many familiar faces. Uh, it feels, it, it, it doesn't feel like I was here five years ago, but it has been five years. And uh, it's so encouraging to meet several of you and hear what God has been doing uh, in ECC uh, through uh, all kinds of situations and through the pandemic and all of that. And uh, we, are, we are grateful to be here. Brother Vivek and I are visiting. And I trust that as we spend time today in Psalm 44, uh, God will encourage all of our hearts to trust him uh, in all of life's situations. So please turn your Bibles uh, to Psalm 44, and I'll read the psalm for us in the ESV version. So that's Psalm 44. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us that what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but, you plant, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do, bow, bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come before you and we ask for your help. Just as your spirit inspired 
the authors to write this psalm. I pray that your spirit would illumine our hearts and help us to see the truths and help us to be transformed by them. May Christ increase, may all of us decrease. In his name I pray, amen. Uh, it was a Sunday morning in September 2020. Uh, now this was back in the day uh, when we couldn't, we were in Lucknow, we couldn't gather together as a church because of lockdown restrictions. And so it was a Sunday morning, my family, we thought we should do something different. So my wife and we had, our son was uh, two and a half at the time and our daughter was six months at the time. So we went out to the balcony to have a picnic breakfast, uh, just to mix things up a little bit. And so everything was going well, until my wife uh, looked at our daughter who was in a high chair, and she started like slumping and moving towards one side like that. And now, of course, the maternal instinct kicked in, and she quickly took her and held her and took her inside. And in a few seconds, out of nowhere, our daughter started having a seizure in my wife's arms. And her whole body was uh, in tremors, her mouth was frothing, I took her and I held her and I thought, uh, this is, maybe this is the end. Um, it lasted for a few seconds and then after some time it just stopped and then the body became rigid and she just, it was as if she'd lost life. But she was breathing and at that point I thought, okay, I think we need to pray now, I need to pray. And so I said, okay, let's pray. Uh, but it was easier to say, let's pray, than to actually start praying at that time. Because uh, what, what, what should I say to God at this time? What can I say? How should I even begin to pray at this time? And I don't know what situations all you've been through or what situations you will go through in your life, but we all face times in which we, have, we are in situations in which we wonder, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did God allow this to happen to us? It could be moments of crisis like this, when it all suddenly happens, or it could be seasons of discouragement. Uh, it could be afflictions which just affect us or our immediate family, uh, but it could be wider, the wider community, even the body of Christ. And we often find ourselves asking, why me? Why us? What did, I, what did I do to deserve this? Why am I struggling financially? Why did I not get that job? Uh, why is my family member sick? Why this diagnosis? And I think God in his mercy has given us the Psalms of Lament to help us pray when we're faced with those situations. In the Psalms of Lament, which I believe you've had a series in recently, uh, we find examples of prayers of God's people going through adversities and praying in those situations. And here in Psalm 44, we learn how to pray when it seems like everything is against us and it even seems like God is against us. If you look in your Bibles, the superscript tells us that the psalm uh, has been attributed to the sons of Korah, 
we don't know the exact historical setting of what happened just before the psalm was written, but it seems clear that the Israelites had faced defeat in battle. They had gone into battle expecting to win, but then they were crushed, and of course now they're discouraged and dejected. And the question that they are asking is, how did God let this happen to them? Uh, but the psalm tells us how they cried out to God in prayer. And it teaches us how we as God's people can cry out to God in prayer in our times of crisis and discouragement. As we go through the psalm, what we will see is that we can trust God and we can pray to Him in times of desperation uh, because He is our Redeemer. In fact, uh, He is our mighty and our sovereign and our loving Redeemer. And so we can trust Him, and as God's people, we must trust Him. Even though we go through seasons of despair, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God rules over everything, and God is a loving ruler. And this psalm, this psalm teaches us we can pray to Him and trust Him. As we make our way through the psalm, uh, just to help us, we'll be learning three lessons of what we can pray and how we can pray when we don't know how to pray. Now, this is not some magic formula. It's not as if you do it like step one, two, three, and it's not going to open any secret. Uh, it's not going to suddenly fix all our situations. Uh, but these are helpful guidelines for us to frame our prayers. So let's, let's begin by looking at verses 1 to 8. And what we learn here is that we should thank God because of his mighty acts of rescue. We should thank God because of his mighty acts of rescue. Uh, please look at these verses with me. Now remember the situation in which this psalm was written. God's people are suffering and dejected. But it's very interesting that as they turn to God in prayer... They don't start with their discouragement. Instead, they begin in verse 1 to 3 by remembering God's wonderful acts in the past. Uh, they remember the stories that they'd heard from their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. Uh, these weren't made-up myths. These weren't fairy tales. But these were stories told by people who'd lived through situations and lived through events in which God had helped the Israelites. And especially as you look at verse 1 to 3, uh, in their minds they're thinking about the time when, when God brought Israel from the wilderness and settled them into the promised land. Now you'll remember from Israel's history that the uh, Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And then God had miraculously rescued them uh, through Moses. And God had taken them to the brink of the promised land. But then the people had said, we don't want to enter into this land right now. Uh, there's tall walls, tall people, we're going to get massacred, so we don't want to enter into this land. And so God punished them. They, were, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then again, under the leadership of Joshua, they'd come again to enter the land. And again, remember, this is the land they, didn't, they had not wanted to enter because they didn't think they could do it. Uh, these were big cities with big people. And if you, if you remember the Israelites, they, they were not a warrior race. Uh, before going to Egypt, these had been shepherds. And then in Egypt, they had been laborers. They were construction workers for a long time, slaves. 
And then for the last 40 years, they were wanderers, just walking in the desert and camping from place to place. They had not been trained to do any military conquest. But how did God, how did they gain control of the land? How did God help them? Just look at verse 2 and 3. Uh, what we find is that they did not do anything. God did everything. God drove out the nations. God planted the Israelites. God afflicted the people. God set the Israelites free. Israel did not win because of their own strength, but they won because God is mighty and powerful. And in verse 2, we see that uh, in verse 3, the light of God's face was on them. In other words, God's presence was with them, and that was the only reason that they were able to conquer the land of Canaan. Uh, do you remember how they defeated Jericho? They were faced with a, wall, with a city with tall walls and an army and a king inside. And what did God tell them to do? Walk around the city for six days. Uh, you can imagine how the journalists would have covered that story. Uh, here there's an army that's approaching and they are walking around the city. And they've done this for the last three days. And again today, for the fourth day in a row, we have an army and all the people, they're just walking around the city. And then on the seventh day, it's breaking news. There's seven times around the city. And on, on, on the seventh one, like they've cut live now to the telecast. They started shouting. And what happens? The walls come tumbling down. Uh, this was not a military conquest devised by men. It was not, it's not as if they, you know, they knew exactly the right technique of how to shout to bring down the walls. No, this was God working. And this was God planting these people in the land and uprooting the people who had been there. But why did all of this happen? Look at verse 3. It was because God delighted in them. God liked these people. God loved them. Why? Uh, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God tells the Israelites why he had chosen them. Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 and 8. It was not because you were more in number than the, any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fa your fathers. And the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, God loved them because God chose to love them. And the sons of Korah, they remember that this is what God did with their ancestors. And as they remember, as they recount all of that in verse 1 to 3, they come to verse 4 to 8 and they express their trust in God and their gratitude for all that God has done. So just remember, they've just lost in battle, but what they're saying is, in verse 4, you are my king. They're saying, we still trust you. We are under your authority. You are the one who can help us. And that's why in verse 5, they still trust that they will defeat the enemies with God's help. And again, once again, they are not trusting in their own military capabilities. They believe that God can do the same thing he had done with this, their ancestors with them as well. And not only, so they're not just talking about things in the past. If you read in verse 7, 
they also they say you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us so even today these people these people have experienced god's help in their lives they have been rescued by the same god who rescued the israelites from egypt and when they think about all of this they think about what god has done in the past when what god has done in their lives in verse 8 we we find out uh what their response is to all of this and what we see is that they boast about god and they are not ashamed of him they speak of god's accomplishments and achievements they remind one another they tell people this is what our god has done and they give thanks to god and it's not just a one time event they keep doing it they do it forever and ever no matter what happened in their life right now they will not forget that god had helped their ancestors and god had helped them and because of that they are going to keep on thanking god just i know i'm repeating myself but remember they're not in a happy place right now the country is discouraged but the psalmist the the, the sons of korah are convinced that god is mighty and because of that they continue to give thanks because of his might brothers and sisters when you and i face problems in life how many times do we pray and in our prayers do we say thank you lord for isn't it true that we're often just so focused on what's wrong now that we're very far from thinking about what god has done for us and we're very far from thinking about how we can say thank you to god but the psalmist show us in the midst of devastation that we really can thank god at all times and I'm, and we too so it's not just a psalmist that's what we can do we can thank god for all his work as well even when our life is falling apart we can thank god for what he has done in our lives Uh, on the one hand we can thank god for all the physical things that he's provided for us he provides our needs he keeps us safe he gives us strength for each day but not just that he he helps us spiritually and he has helped us as believers he has forgiven our sins he helps us every day to overcome temptation he helps us to grow in holiness and these are all things that god has done for us which we can and we must thank him for but like the psalmist we should look at scripture and thank god for all that he's done in the past as well uh, we can thank god and praise him for his work in creation and for all his words and de- works and deeds throughout the bible but especially for what he did 2000 years ago through our lord jesus we were we deserve to be punished we were the sinners we were god's enemies but he lived the holy life he died on the cross for our sins we did, we weren't saved like the psalmist we we cannot say that we did it by ourselves we were not saved by our works but we are saved by through his life his death and his resurrection and what that means is even in our darkest hour we have so much to be thankful for but i'm sure you'll agree that that doesn't take away the pain of what we're going through uh, what should we do with this pain that we experience let's turn to verse 9 to 22 
And what we learn from this section is that what we should do is we should pour out our hearts to our sovereign God. When life is tough, we should pour out our hearts to our sovereign God. Uh, when you read these verses, it's very easy. Uh, it's, you can easily sense a shift in the mood. And in fact, as I was, when I was reading the psalm at the beginning of the sermon, I could, I could just hear suddenly there was silence. Uh, people stopped fidgeting. Uh, because you can sense that the mood has changed. If there was music, suddenly the music has changed if, this was, if there was a background score to the psalm. Uh, because we see that the psalmists are very sad because God did not help them in their battle. And uh, if you read it, 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 it can feel a bit shocking because they say that God has rejected and disgraced them <coughs> and God has not led their armies. God has made them run away from their enemies. God has made them like sheep ready for slaughter. God has scattered them. They say God has sold them, and he didn't, he didn't even make a profit on them. He sold them on discount for free. What's happening here? Are God's people accusing him? It looks like that, doesn't it? But, just, but remember what they've just said before that. They've just said, you are my king. They've just said, we trust you. They've just said, we give thanks to God forever. And so they haven't stopped thank trusting God. But what they are doing is they are crying in front of God, knowing that whatever has happened to them is not because God has lost control. Instead, it's because God is very much in control. Uh, when we go through difficult situations in our lives, uh, even though it's difficult for us to accept and we may not understand it often, what we must remember is God is sovereign. This means God rules over everything, not just the good things. God is never out of control. There's never a situation in which God says, oh, I missed that. When we have good days, it's because, we, because of God. And when we have bad days, these are also from God's hand. We see in verse 9 to 12 uh, that the people were very sad because God had made them lose. And in verse 13 to 16, what we see is they were sad because they had now lost face. They had, became, they had become disgraced and they felt insulted. Uh, the neighboring nations were mocking them because of their loss. The neighbors were saying, Ha, huh, look at you guys. You thought you were going to win, huh? You went very confidently. Uh, what happened now? Why are you running the other direction? It was a time of disgrace for them. And look at verse 13 and 14. Uh, why did this happen? Because God did this. Uh, there are some Christians who believe that if we truly trust God and we truly follow God's ways, we truly obey God, we will never be disgraced. We will never face any kind of disgrace. Uh, because God has made us the head and not the tail. But when we look at verse 13, look at verse 13. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. The situation is so bad in verse 15 and 16 that the psalmist is hiding his face. The same psalmist who used to boast about God who boasts about God is also now feeling disgraced all day long. 
But when we come to verse 17 to 22, we get to the heart of the problem that the psalmists are facing. We see that they are, they are really sad and confused because they do not understand what, why this has happened to them. In verse 17, they say that they have not forgotten God and they have not been unfaithful to the covenant. In verse 18, they say that our hearts have been all right and not just our hearts, our ways have also been all right. We have been walking according to God's law. We have been living according to his commandments. In verse 20 and 21, they say, if we had been indulging in idolatry, if we had been going to other gods, even if we thought it was a secret, God would have found out about it and he would be right to punish us for that. But they say, we haven't been doing that. And yet, look at verse 19, they are broken and in ruins. And they fear that they can be decimated anytime soon. Now, as you look at, especially as you look at verse 17 to 21, it can appear that these, look at these, look at these guys, they're so self-righteous. Who can say, who in their right mind with a clear conscience can say that they have been fully faithful to God? Who can say that my heart is pure before God? Who, in, who, if they really think about it, can say, I've never committed adultery. I've never loved things more than I love God. <coughs> it appears that the theology is all wrong. But before we pass judgment on them, uh, we should pay attention to why they're saying what they're saying. They're saying what they're saying because they are part of God's old covenant people. After God had rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and when he was bringing them and settling them into the promised land, he made a covenant. He entered into a covenant with them, and he, he set out the stipulations for that very clearly. He said, if you obey me, you're going to have lots of children, your harvest is going to be great, you'll have peace, there'll be rain in time, and there will be no attacks from the enemies. If you obey me, that's what's going to happen to you. If you disobey me, you're not going to have children, your harvest is going to be terrible, the rains won't come on time, enemies will attack you, you will be led into exile. So blessing for obedience, curse for disobedience. You can read more about that in the last chapters of Deuteronomy. And that is why the psalmists are so confused. Because in their minds, we've been obedient, we haven't, we haven't, been, doing, uh, we haven't been going after foreign gods, we've been faithful. Why is it that we're facing the curses? Why have we lost in battle? And they can't think of a reason. Except, let's look at verse 22. They say, yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Notice what they say. They are killed all day long for God's sake. In other words, they're not being punished for sin that they've committed. They're not in trouble because God has made any mistake. Instead, they're facing problems because they're God's people. They were God's people. They were faithful to God, but they were still facing discouragement. Uh, they were experiencing suffering like Job experienced suffering and like all God's people have experienced. God's people are God's special people. And God loves them with a special love, but that doesn't make us immune to suffering. Instead, God allows us and takes us through the valley of, shadow, of the shadow of death. 
Uh, this happened to Israel, clearly over here. And, and the New Testament tells us that this will happen to us as well. Now, just as a side note, when we face problems in life, uh, I think it's a good practice for us just to take a step back and think about our lives and search our hearts for unconfessed sin. So it, it is possible that God brings situations in our life just to, to correct us and to bring us towards Him. So that is possible. And so we should approach suffering with a humble heart because of that. Uh, and so that is, that is one aspect. But it also may be possible when we are facing troubles that it's just because we are God's faithful people and God is taking us through difficult times. Uh, the Bible, in the Bible, God does not promise us a problem-free life. Instead, the road to glory leads to the cross. The New Testament doesn't tell us that when we follow Jesus, we're going to have health, wealth, and happiness. In some ways, we can understand why the psalmists were confused, uh, but we should not be confused. Uh, we are following the one who said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But this doesn't mean that we ignore our pain and pretend like everything is okay. Uh, as God's children, we can and we should pour our hearts out to God. Uh, like a little child who gets hurt and then runs to the daddy and mommy and just cries in their arms. Why are they crying? They just hurt. And they know that their parent is there for them. God made us with emotions and we can express our emotions to God. But like the psalmist, even as we're crying to God, we trust Him. And so, brothers and sisters, when you go through times and seasons of discouragement, uh, as you look to God in prayer, it's okay to cry. It's okay to tell God how you're feeling. Not because you're upset with God, but because, because we're hurt and we don't know what else to do. We don't, know, we, don't un we don't understand what's happening. But we don't stop there either. In verse 23 to verse 26, what we learn here is that we should plead with God because of His steadfast love. We should plead with God because of His steadfast love. Uh, so just, if you remember from verse 1 to 8, we saw that the psalmists were giving thanks to God because of what He'd done in the past. In verse 9 to 22, they were just crying, pouring out their heart because of the situation they were in. But here in verse 23 to 26, they're making a petition to God. They're requesting God to do something. Now again, if you read verse 23 and 24, it can sound a bit jarring. Uh, a few days ago, I was reading the psalm aloud uh, in my house. and my, So my five-year-old boy and three-year-old daughter were listening. And so they were, doing, they were doing some work. They were coloring and playing. And when I came to this line, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? They put everything down. They're like, no, something's wrong with what he just said. Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Daddy, Dada, God doesn't sleep. Uh, God doesn't reject people like that. Immediately their alarm bells are ringing. But do the, do the psalmists think that God is really sleeping? Now we should remember, I mean, so this is poetry, right? And 
in poetry, you say things, you're trying to say something else, but you use a figure of speech, you say that, and so that is what is happening. Um, and the next thing what we should remember is just remember the first part of the psalm. These people trust God. They wouldn't trust God if they thought God went for a nap once in a while. They trust God, and what, basically what they're saying is, God, uh, we lost this time, uh, but please help us the next time. We don't want to lose again. Please give us victory the next time we go out. Because look at verse 25, they are, it feels like they're flat, and it feels to them like God has knocked them out. But having said all of this, they eventually come to verse 26, and they ask God to help them. Notice what they say, rise up, come to our help. And they ask God to redeem them. Uh, redeeming is what slaves needed to be set free. Uh, so God often talks about how he redeemed Israel out of Egypt. He set them free. Uh, when God set up the, the law in the, in the Old Covenant, he talked about how slaves could be redeemed from their slavery and they could become free people. Um, and here again, here are God's people and they're in need for redemption. Uh, they're, uh, so again, in the, throughout the Bible you see, so Boaz redeemed Ruth and the family by uh, paying the price for that. And these people, and so they come to God and they say, please redeem us. But what I, really, what, I, what, I'm, what I really find encouraging is the reason they give for why God should redeem them. Uh, they don't say, redeem us, God, because we are just. Because we did not do, this to, we did not do anything to deserve this. <coughs> they don't say, redeem us, God, because we've been treated unfairly. Instead, look at the verse, verse 20 and, and last line. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. The only reason that they have hope is because God is a God of steadfast love. Throughout the Old Testament, this is one of God's attributes and part of God's self-disclosure. Uh, do you remember when Moses, uh, was get, when Moses was up in the mountain with God and he said, I want to see you. And what did God say? God said, well, I'll tell you something about myself. And he said that he is a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Uh, this was this, God's steadfast love is his special love. It's, it's, it's his love, his mercy, his grace, his favor with which he deals with his covenant people. And again, not because they deserve it, but because of who he is. He's a God who's overflowing with steadfast love. He cannot help but show steadfast love to people. It, there's just more to give and more to give. And because he is full of faithful, steadfast love, his people can go to him when they're in trouble and they can beg for help and they can say, please help us, please redeem us. I said in the beginning that uh, it is often difficult for us to pray to God in the midst of crisis. Uh, but actually, what we, what, what we can be encouraged is that uh, we can pray to God with boldness because he is abounding in steadfast love. And what should we pray for? Well, we can pray for help in our situation. We can say, God, help me. I'm stuck. Please, help. Please change the situation in the way you want to. 
But why can we pray? Why can we as Christians go to God and say, please help me? Because of the love of God. And let's turn to Romans 8, uh, 35 to 39 to reflect more on this love of God. As we face discouragement and distress, and when we think God's love has failed us, listen to what Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's verse 22 from Psalm 44. And then Paul answers, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Regardless of what our situation is. And God knows all of our situations. He knows what we're going through now. He knows what we will be facing in the future. What we can hold on to is that God is overflowing in steadfast love and he loves us. And what proof do we have that he loves us? God has loved us through Jesus Christ, whom we've been singing about. We, we were reminded of what he has done in the creed. We read about him earlier. When you and I were still sinners, Jesus died in the, on the cross in our place. Now Jesus, he could have, he's the only one who could have said, I'm innocent, I should not suffer. I have been faithful to God, I have kept his commandments, there's not been a moment of lapse. He did not do anything to deserve punishment, he, would, he was not supposed to be on that cross. But Isaiah prophesied about him that he was pierced, for our transgressions, brothers and sisters. He was crushed for our iniquities. Brothers and sisters, God loves us. And because he loves us, we can cry to him for help. Now, if you're here today, this morning, and uh, you do not know the love of Jesus, friend, um, I invite you to consider the love of God. God so loved the world, the sinful world that we are in, that he sent Jesus into the world for sinners like you and me. So that if we believe in Jesus, we can have eternal life. We can enjoy God's love in our lives, both now and forevermore, no matter what goes wrong in our lives now. Even if we stay sick, even if we stay poor, even if we stay troubled, even if we lose our loved ones, no matter, even if everything goes against us, we have hope because of the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, nothing will or nothing can separate us from the love of God. We may have tears in this life. In fact, we will have tears in this life. But brothers and sisters, the day is coming when we will be with God in his presence and he will wipe away every tear.
And then we no longer will, no longer will we say, verse 22 from Psalm 44, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Instead, you know what we'll be saying? We'll, we'll join in with the tens of thousands of angels and with all of God's people from everywhere. And what we will sing is, worthy is the lamb who was slain. In other words, worthy is Jesus who died on the cross for sinners like you and me to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. For you were slain, Jesus was slain, and by his blood, by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We are going to delight in God's love for the rest of eternity. And what that means for us now, brothers and sisters, is we can rest in that love. Even when our life is all upside down. And we rest in that love knowing that Jesus has called us to take up our cross and to follow him. My prayer for all of us is that when we go through difficult situations, we don't doubt God, we don't question what he's doing, but instead we do what the psalmist did. That we remember what God has done objectively, objective reality of what God has done for us. And we thank God for that. We honestly pour out our hearts. We say, God, this is tough. But at the same time, because we know that God loves us, I pray that God would help us turn to him in prayer and plead for his mercy to make it through till the end. Let's look to God in prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we confess that we often forget that you are in control of our lives. And we often just focus on what's wrong and forget what all the right things that you've done, all the good things that you've done. I pray that you would help each of us here to rest in the love of Christ. That even, even when life takes turn for the worse, that we would remember that you are mighty, you are sovereign, you are loving. And as we remember that, we, I pray that you would help us to turn that into prayer, prayers of thanks and prayers of petition and prayers of desperation. And I pray that as we do that, we would, we would keep looking at Jesus who suffered so that we can enjoy your love now and forevermore. It's in his name we pray. Amen.